I'm Sam Slater from Sun Calibre, and today I've been joined by James Douglas, co-manager of the Polar Capital Global Healthcare Trust. Hi, James. Good morning. The total number of COVID-19 cases has now reached well over a million, but that's just the ones we know and have been tested and actually had the symptoms. How do we go about testing and collecting complete data for everyone in the world? Well, there are two types of tests. The first one is detection of the virus itself, and that confirms whether someone's been infected or not. And these tests are widely available uh, from numerous companies, uh, and the focus now is one of increasing manufacturing capacity and distribution. The second one, which I think directly answers your question, is called a serology test. And that tests for antibodies, and that can detect whether a patient has previously been infected uh, and thus has uh, maybe potentially developed immunity to the virus. And how critical are these tests to to sort of easing the lockdown situation and getting the economy started again? Well, I would argue they're both very critical, actually. Um, you know, so we could argue that both are important in relation to the economy. Uh, and it's reasonable to argue we think that the serology test is probably more important. Uh, and the reason is simple, is that if individuals test positive for antibodies, uh, they potentially, then in theory, they can just start leaving their lives at normal, uh, which includes obviously going back to work. And thinking about a vaccine, um, it's been quoted that it's still probably 12 to 18 months away, but that's sort of just one step of the problem. There's the whole manufacturing process behind it then. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's the million-dollar question. It's a really important one. So traditionally, the vaccine industry has had high barriers to entry, and manufacturing is one of them. You know, really rigorous safety standards are required, uh, have to be adhered to, and that takes time and money, because don't forget, you're vaccinating healthy individuals. Now, there is a hope that a vaccine or vaccines will be available for emergency use in early 21, and there is a commitment to materially expand manufacturing capacity as we sit here today, though, we just don't know the precise timetable on that commitment to expanding manufacturing capacity. And the Spanish influenza saw different waves of infection um, uh, with new viruses coming back. Do we think that we'll have a re-emergence of COVID-19? And are we also yeah. we're going to go back to square one every year in this case? Yeah, yeah, that's another very important question. And it's a really tough one because this is quite a novel virus and we've got no history. Uh, and making comparisons with other viruses is obviously an inexact science. But it has to be a possibility. Um, you know, if memory serves, there was a second wave of swine flu uh, in, in the US in the fall of 2009 when students returned back to school. And so I think what we're trying to do is watch uh, areas that were early in the emergence of the virus, like China and South Korea, you know, they're starting to remobilize, return to work, uh, and return to certain normal aspects of life. Um, so we need to keep a very close eye on there, but I wouldn't be surprised if COVID-19 does reappear uh, and we do start to hear about further lockdowns, although obviously we hope that doesn't happen. So we've been talking about one very specific area of healthcare, but obviously the sector is very wide-ranging. Could you perhaps sort of outline some of the different areas for us, please? Yeah, absolutely. So we're very fortunate in, in the healthcare world because there's so many different subsectors we can invest in. So there's pharmaceuticals and biotechnology, um, reasonably self-explanatory. These are the companies that manufacture the, the drugs and potentially the vaccines to help with things like COVID-19 and other diseases. But also there's the medical device world. Um, these are companies that manufacture everyday devices, um, including things like IC units, ventilators and hospital beds but also um, you know there's areas like life sciences and tools these are the companies that manufacture the capsule equipment uh, and the consumables used for things like COVID-19 testing for example 
Uh, and then obviously there's um, insurance companies as well in the US um, who offer, as you know, about 50% of the US population have insurance through their place of work. And, the, and these are the companies that, that put together those benefit plans. So there's multi, multi different subsectors within healthcare that could in theory be impacted either positively or negatively by COVID-19. And thinking longer term, healthcare is obviously a really big subject in the world. We've got generally an aging population. People are living longer with illness. It was an opportunity six months ago. Do you think now that the focus is on healthcare, everyone's actually remembering what a great job all these people do, that government budgets will increase and perhaps we'll actually see this trend accelerated into our healthcare system? Well, I do think that the healthcare industry has done a phenomenal job in, in pulling together to, to try and tackle tackle this crisis. So I think that's one thing. Secondly, I do believe, um, and this is very much a long-term perspective, that it has highlighted some of the shortcomings potentially in some of the healthcare infrastructures globally. And so what we could do is we could see enhanced levels of investments. Um, we could see enhanced level of investment certainly in hospitals and facilities potentially. We could see the enhanced level of investment in things like telemedicine, whereby physicians can interact with their patients remotely as opposed to physical contact. So there are a variety of areas that we certainly think could come out of this um, in better shape. The big question, obviously, is one of, of how long that might potentially take and where difficult capital investments will be made, because obviously those decisions might, might have been altered by what's happened over the last two, three months. And in the United States, we've got the election coming up, presumably still in November. Um, one of the big mm-hmm. campaign themes is usually healthcare. Do you think it's? Do you think the rhetoric mm-hmm. around that's going to change at all because of this? Yeah, no, that's a really interesting question because one thing that has kind of almost been lost a little bit throughout the COVID nineteen crisis is what's happening with the political backdrop in the US. It was a very, very important focus for the markets if you go back two, three months. And it's just got less of a focus now because of uh, what's been happening with COVID-19. And actually, what's happening in the background, we believe, is quite positive for healthcare. It seems that a a more progressive democratic candidate is unlikely. um, And we do believe that if someone like Joe Biden goes forward that could actually potentially be quite positive for healthcare because we understand and we believe that he's going to invest further in the infrastructure that was introduced by Obama back in 08. And investors understand how to kind of how to deal and how to invest in that sort of an environment. That's brilliant. Thanks very much, James. That was really interesting. No, you're very welcome. I'm Sam Slater. For more information about the Boda Capital Global Healthcare Trust, please go to funcaliber.com. And if you'd like to hear more of our podcast, please subscribe to Investing on the Go. Please note that these are unprecedented times and markets can react very quickly to news. The views expressed are at the time of recording and could change. Please remember we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or to sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of your listening.